Oh my gosh, am I gonna be sad? I mean, like, it's sad. Like, it's not like like nobody gets like killed. We don't we don't kill a cat this time, but we're just gonna keep talking about that. Welcome to Imagine Me and Utena, a revolutionary girl Utena podcast. I'm Panda. I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host Josh, who didn't do her homework again. I really never do. Like, I'd be late for my. I was probably late for my own birth. <laughs> you should probably try watching these episodes sometime before we watch them together. I do, but then like, I like I'll, I'll watch. What, what happens is that we'll we'll decide to record one day, and then I'll watch. And then we won't record that day. And then I was just like, oh, well, I'll just watch it later. And then I just like never end up watching it later. And by the time it's like, like it rolls around again for us to record, I'm like, oh, I watched that a week ago. Peeling back the curtain a little here, folks. I am notorious for needing to reschedule recording sessions for one reason or another. It's it's not one-sided because I have had to do that several times. That's fair. But today we are talking about Revolutionary Girl Utena episode 11, Gracefully Cruel, the one who picks that flower. It's a weird name and I don't really... It's like two titles and I can't decide which one would be better. Well, I guess I can kind of get how it fits with the episode, but not 100%. But Josh doesn't know that and we'll find out later, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, I guess uh, let's start the episode. Utena and Wakaba are sitting outside and they're gonna eat lunch. They're being cute. And as I said earlier, um, before we start recording, it's been, a lo- it's been a while since we've seen Wakaba. We haven't seen Wakaba in a while, our dear onion princess. She made a bento for Utena and Utena's like, I have a lunch. And she had like a little packaged thing. I'm not sure what that was. But Wakaba's very excited about the lunch that she made for her dear Utena. And she falls over on top of her and they roll down the hill together and it's very cute. Oh, I'm so nostalgic for college watching that. We (laughs) used there's a hill behind our dorm. I used to do that all the time. Wakaba is precious. I love Wakaba so much. Now they have relocated to being by a tree and Wakaba is showing off her cute little bento. And Utena says it looks tasty. And she says thank you. I love that it has a little heart. Yeah, it's really cute. She's put little hearts in it. Even the eggs are shaped like hearts. But then Anthe walks up and she's made lunch. <laughs> I wonder what it is. Utena is hoping it's not shaved ice again. Oh, Wakaba uh, was originally looked annoyed, but now she's just like, ooh, it's a big box. I wonder what's inside. Anthe made takoyaki and yakisoba. They don't seem very happy about this, and considering Anthe's history with making food, we should probably be concerned too. <laughs> but Chuchu ate a bunch of whatever it was that was in the bottom compartment of the box, so... What's takoyaki? Takoyaki is, this is the only bit of research I'm going to do for this entire show is to look up what takoyaki is. Takoyaki is a ball-shaped Japanese snack made of a wheat flour-based batter and cooked in a special molded pan. It is typically filled with minced or diced octopus, tempura scraps, pickled ginger, and green onion. They are brushed with takoyaki sauce, which is similar to Worcestershire sauce and mayonnaise, and then sprinkled with green laver, laver, I've never encountered that word in my life, uh, L-A-V-E-R, and shavings of dried bonito. 
So that's what takoyaki is. It's like dough with octopus in it and sauce. I don't know why they're not impressed. That sounds awesome. Well, again, remember, uh, Anthony is not known for being the world's best chef, as we found out in the curry episode. That's fair. Choo Choo ate a bunch of whatever was in the bottom of the box and then proceeded to eat some of the yakisoba. And now we see Toga and Miki spying on, according to Toga, a lonely princess, although he doesn't specify who it is he's looking at. He's probably talking about Utena. I love that, like, he's got the little opera glasses. He's using opera glasses. Just to reinforce how rich he is. Just in case you forgot that they're all, like, rich very true Damn rich people. everybody's eating together and laughing but toga decides he's gonna walk up on this gathering of girls plus choo-choo but he's got a gaggle of girls behind him as well well duh i mean it's kind of understood at this point but even when you don't see them they're there and wakaba says oh it's the prince of the student council <sighs> what fitting word choice She's reflecting on when he jumped in front of her when she was about to get stabbed or whatever. And Utena's like, maybe he is my prince from before. Utena, this is obviously false. Why are you being led astray? I know. But now we get student council elevator time. I'm not saying that the only reason that this scene exists is so that they could like, fill time and not have to draw new things, but that's basically what happened. Don't you mean the entire show? Half of this show is recycled animation. That was a real problem in the 90s anime. Well, I mean, they had to make anime really long, but they also didn't have very big budgets. They're talking about Naname's duel in the last episode, and they're talking about how Toga orchestrated it all, basically, and how it turned uh, out most unfortunately. Ah, uh, I like I love the jury. Like uh, both of them really just see right through him. Yeah, I mean they're all in the student council, so they can only not see through <clears> him <throat> when he's manipulating them. Miki has his stopwatch again for some reason. There are balloons everywhere. Like he's really excited because something took six seconds, but like what took six seconds, Miki? Tell me. Please. Toka says that even if somebody gets set up for something, it's still their fault for falling for it. And if they have, if a person has feelings for someone, it's only a matter of time before those feelings betray them. He went like when he first showed up. I thought that he was like oh, maybe okay, but weird. And he just turned completely evil. I told Real you fast. he is tied for second worst <clears throat> Seonji. Toga is walking out to the flower garden where Anthe takes care of the flowers and he's talking to Anthe. What are they talking about? Let's find out. They're talking about the flowers. Toga is congratulating her because apparently this variety of flowers is difficult to grow and now he's talking about them meeting up for lunch the other day because he was spying on them. Anthe says she had fun. Aw, she looks happy. It's so cute. Toga says, or at least implies, that the Rose Bride doesn't need to cook. He says her job isn't to cook. All she needs to do is stay here and tend the roses. He compares her to a bird in a cage, which is creepy. I hadn't really thought about it, but I hadn't, the, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a birdcage all along. I'm surprised I didn't notice that before. Maybe I did. Yep, and he's being creepy on Anthe, so Utena's like, I gotta go save the day. And is Why like, is she panting so much? It's not that far away. 
I have no idea. Utena criticizes Toga for only seeing Anthe as the Rose Bride, but she's just an ordinary girl. Um, oh, it finally comes to a head here. She's finally over challenging it. Yeah, Toga asked Anthe if she was really a normal girl, and Utena's like, no, tell him that you hate being the Rose Bride and that you just want to be a normal girl. And Anthe says it, and we're supposed to believe right now that she means it but we're gonna find out that that's complicated toga knows what's going on he thinks it's funny when anthe says that she wants to be a normal girl and she doesn't want to be the rose bride toga again says i have something important to tell you because i'm your prince there's that that weird little rose in the corner the spinning rose because like why not Toga's asking her about the day that they met, and he's talking about when he met her in that tomb, but she's talking about when she met the prince, and he said, you were crying on that day, weren't you? And she was, she was crying on both days, so she's getting mixed up, obviously. And Toga leans in for the kiss because he's a creep, and then Utena is about to let him freaking kiss her and then toga's like forgive me that was indiscreet for two duelists to act that way in front of the rose bride and then anthe's just kind of standing there and utina feels weird about it and then she gets blushy and that's gross i mean he he's gross but it's hard to blame her because i mean this is an inherently embarrassing situation yeah but before she can recover toga challenges her to a duel because what else would he do i mean that's literally his only thing he does is, is make plans and duel you're not wrong Utena's thinking about Toga, and apparently she momentarily forgot that he was a duelist. Like, it bothers me that her memories of the prince, just the hair alone, are so radically different, that, and she doesn't realize this. Yeah, she, in thinking that Toga might be her prince, is looking at her ring and saying, the one thing that links me to the prince is going to make me duel him. And Anthe has made tea. Utena's sadly drinking tea. Anthe's like, how did you like my lunch today? And Uta's like, it was great. Wakaba liked it too. Anthe says is a lot of fun to be around, which I think is cute. I'm kind of gone back to where I don't trust anything she says. Does that yeah, make sense? It's difficult to know when you should and shouldn't trust things that Anthe says because of how dubious her whole thing can be. Anthe says she wishes she had more friends. And again, we have to wonder, is this genuine or is this what she thinks that Utena wants to hear? Because Utena immediately jumps and says that, you know, if she just would open her heart and talk to somebody, that she would definitely make a friend. Utena says she'll help her make a friend. I couldn't believe her. This time, I, I believe her. Yeah, like, I agree usually too. I don't believe her. Yeah, usually when I, I doubt, it's because she seems to be parroting someone else. But usually it's like right after, and she's not really parroting. Yeah, she brought that up of her own volition, and I think that that's significant <clears throat> too. But like I said, it's hard yeah. to tell. And here we have Aiko and Biko, and they're doing a William Tell. William Tell, except they have a, a bow instead of a crossbow. Now, my son, I want you to put this apple on top of your head. Yes, Daddy, but... <gasps> Good shot, Daddy! But that was the 37,919th time. How long are you going to keep this up? Oh, until Dr. Stubb shows up. Enough talking, son. Now put this apple on top of your head. Yes, Daddy, but can't that nobleman let you not do this once? Oh! Stop thinking. 
thinking for yourself? What is the destiny of William Tell and his son, now an eternal archery machine? Do you know? Do you know? Do you really know? Uh, Daddy, aim a little higher. Uh-oh. Do you know anything about William Tell? Lots. Oh boy. Well, I don't really, I don't really know anything. It's a pretty cool story. It's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to why they've decided to do that, put that in here. I have no idea. My only really thought is that, like, William Tell is sort of a freedom fighter, and yeah. the whole thing that Yutena Xenic cares about with the Rose Bride is, at least ostensibly, um, Anthony's freedom. Yeah. I guess that's kind of a connection. Though, that's also been complicated by the fact that, you know, what if Togo's the prince, and also, it wasn't even her original motivation at all. Like, her original motivation is basically almost completely forgotten at this point. Yeah. Might as well not have happened. Which is kind of, I mean, kind of fits, because the whole thing feels like a dream, and it totally, like, in dreams, you often forget, like, you're just somewhere, and you don't know why or how you got there. So, that kind of makes sense. I mean, I kind of like that, actually. I can see that. I had not considered that perspective before, but yeah, that was, that's really an interesting way to look at it. We're getting our little sequence where Utena gets the embellishments on her costume as she's walking up the stairs. Which I've just realized are um, patterned after her memories of the prince. Yeah? I'm dumb for just realizing that, but I just did. God, for yet again, I've said this a billion times, but I still love the song. And this sequence is different from the other ones. Yeah, there is a a bit of difference in this sequence as compared to the other ones. She like hesitates. Towards the end. I don't, think, I don't think we've really seen her hesitate before. Me either. Utena says we have to fight no matter what, and she doesn't seem really happy about it, but Toga nods, and Anthe places the roses on their uh, in their pockets. And Anthe and Utena look at each other for a second, and it's really cute. Toga tells Utena it's time for him to take her precious bird from her, because he's creepy. Way to dehumanize. Utena's the only person that humanizes Anthe. Like, we can get into whether or not Anthe really wants what Utena wants for her, but Utena is the only one that actually bothers to humanize her. Everybody else sees her as a means to an end. I was going to say Mickey kind of does, but no, because like I guess you could, because he he's just nicer about it. Yeah, he like his is less harmful, but like he wants her to fulfill something in him too. Yeah, and there we go. He just stands there. Yeah, Utena's lunging for Toga, and he just stands there, and then like I don't know. Nice fail, Utena. Yeah, she she didn't hit him. Toga says, "Those who fight with compassion lose their lives." As a weapon nerd, I'm fascinated by the fact that he's using a katana. And katana, among other things, are um, Japanese swordsmen, um, swordsmiths used to test katanas on, like, rocks and things. Mm-hmm. Part of their whole appeal is that they can cut through really friggin' anything. So it's funny to me that she's she's fighting him with a saber, which is not really intended to be that strong. So it, it, by all accounts, she should be at a disadvantage. Whoa, that was meant to be lethal. I don't know that it was, but it was certainly symbolically lethal. Toga appears to stab her through the head, but that's just in shadows. But now Utena's going <clears> to <throat> manifest the power of Dios. She hasn't really done this in a while, where... Uh, Dios like comes out of the sky and becomes one with her and she gets the power and so she lunges for Toga and he lunges at her they've got their flowing hair behind them and Toga stops and he just stops because he's a dick because he's manipulating her And Utena falters, Uh, as he expected she would, and he immediately rises up to cut the rose from her breast. 
which he does because he's a manipulating jerk. And Utena has lost the Rose Bride, guys. This wasn't supposed to happen. What are we gonna do, guys? We only have two episodes left in this arc. And Utena just lost the Rose Bride. That is infuriating. And of course, the sword disappears. Utena How's she gonna so fight? She's gonna sword now. She looks so sad. Well, she won her first duel with a wooden sword, but that was against Seonji. Oh, so he's like basically kicking her out of the loop. Basically, yeah. Uh, that's kind of what's happening is that he has won Anthe and now Utena is like, no, please don't take her. She wants to be an ordinary girl. Utena says she doesn't need the power to bring revolution to the world, but Anthe needs her. Oh, this is really painful. Yeah. Utena says if I leave her, then she'll be all alone again. Toga asks Anthe if she's happy being the Rose Bride and Anthe says yes. Because that's what the Rose Bride does. Just heroic blue screen of death. She tells Utena, I like being alone. And Toga says, Utena, don't you see? Anthe Hemamiya will agree to whatever the person who is engaged to her tells her to. The Rose Bride answers her master's wishes. The wish to make her a normal girl was merely your own wish, Utena. Toga says to oh, her. It's so, it's so bleak. I mean, I, I, I saw it coming from like second episode, but that's so bleak. Utena refuses to believe that this is true and begs Anthe to tell him the truth. She brings up how Anthe said she wanted to make more friends, but Anthe grabs Toga and says, Farewell, Miss Tenju. And Utena cries and falls to the floor, and I'm so sad. Like, geez, that's just a dagger in the side right there. I know. Oh, oh God, they're doing a. Emotional flashback. Utsuna's having an emotional flashback of all her happy memories with Anthe. And she's crying, saying that it's not true. Oh, man. I'm so sad. To be continued. That is terrible. Ooh. In the next episode, a bit of a spoiler, we get to see Utsuna in a regular schoolgirl outfit. I don't want to. I know. I don't either. Especially not after this, but it is kind of hilarious. Well, if you wait and you let this video play to the end and it shows you the promo for next week's episode, you're going to see it because it's kind of hilarious. She looks so weird in the big poofy sleeved episode or the big poofy sleeved (sighs) uniform that they have to wear. All right. It's time I have to see the the little next time on YouTube, I think, because I have to see this. I need to. How did you feel about the episode, aside from, oh my god, so sad? It's... Okay, first off, I've now seen her in a normal uniform, and it looks bizarre. I know. <laughs> I mean, they always look bizarre, but on her, it even looks a bit more bizarre. Like, why are those shoulder poofs so ginormous? They are literally as big as her face. Yeah, I don't understand why they have to be so ginormous. I've seen so many episodes of this that on other characters, it looks normal now. But, like, when you see it on Utena, it just reinforces how weird it is. Besides for the obvious, like, the geez, that is super sad. Um, I like a lot of it. Like, I, we kind of, we, we, they pull, they've kind of hinted around the edges that, that to a great degree, the Rose Bride is basically just a Or at least that's the point of the Rose Bride. They made it really ambiguous as to whether that's absolutely true. And they did it this time, too. Even though we have that moment where she just, like, seems to be utterly an empty vessel... We also had a moment just before that where she very much seems not to be. That almost seems to prove positive that she could have, you know, her own identity. So it, it's kind of cool that they managed to have a definitive answer and still leave it open. The mystery of the stopwatch is still unsolved, but now we know that, that apparently sometimes the react, like Mickey was like, 
oh, six seconds or something. And I'm like, I don't know what you, or your timing, but I'm also excited, Mickey. Yeah, in the comment, the YouTube comments for this episode, somebody asks why Mickey is always timing things. So you're not the only one who needs to know. Oh, I think there's a cat. There's a cat. Um, let me think what else. Oh, I remember what I was thinking. I don't know. I, pro- I might have mentioned this before, but it just occurred to me because it's been a while since she did the whole invocation of Dios thing. Um, that it is weirdly reminiscent of, um, like, okay, so let me back up. Like, we've had lots of, like, folklore kind of references. We've had lots of, like, fairy tale kind of elements. Anime, starting in the 90s, starts to really get into the whole, like, borrowing elements from Christendom and then making them weird. Um, Eva would eventually do this. Um, there are so many animes that have nuns with guns. If the Catholic Church is as cool as it is in anime, then, like, we would all be Catholic. Um, the the way they do the sort of invocation of Dios, which you know, like manifest it, reminds me a lot of um, the imagery is very is very reminiscent to me of John the the, the Assumption at when um, Christ goes to John the Baptist. Like, and I wonder if that's intentional because you know, he's. I'm gonna Dios, need you to right? I'm gonna need you to break that one down for me a little because okay. I'm not really well, uh, you know I'm not as uh, I'm not as ch- churchy as you are. So maybe I'm just not seeing this, but I'm okay, I'm a so, little. Uh, you're blowing my mind a little here, so I'm I'm eager for this explanation. Okay, so the the story itself is that you have John the Baptist, right? He's crazy. He lives out in the desert, and sometimes he comes out of the desert and says a bunch of really crazy stuff. But occasionally, his crazy stuff is really great. Mm-hmm. So like people like gather in big crowds, and his big thing is he baptizes people. Mm-hmm. Um, traditionally, at that point, baptism had always been just a ritual that you do before you enter the temple. You just you know take a bath, basically. Mm-hmm. The way he is doing it, he changed it. He changes it to where he's doing it in the river, um, wherever he happens to be, and okay. is he is he is declared that is sort of this cleansing of a deeper kind, but he's vague about it. You have, in the Gospels, you have Jesus shows up, and there's this exchange between them where he's he is told like you should be baptizing me, like you're so much more important than I am. To which the reply is, no, this is how it needs to happen. And so he's bat- you have Jesus being baptized, and it is described as a the Holy. The, uh, I wish I could remember the exact words. Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and it's very much it's depicted in art a lot in um, like the Renaissance, which that makes sense. Kind of fits with the aesthetics of the of the of the place that we are in is that sort of high medieval. Um, Renaissance architecture that you see combined with a little bit of Gothic influence. The Renaissance and, was the height of Jesus fan art, so that makes sense. Yeah, it really was. And so, like the way that they have the they have the sort of castle in the sky and sort of the I guess you could say the presence or the presence or power or whatever of Dios, whoever Dios is, I don't know yet. Um, kind we of won't find out about down. Dios until the third arc. Don't worry. Yeah, kind of descending down is very reminiscent of um, the of the art that you see depicting that. Where usually, of course, in the art, usually it's like a, a dove or something with mm-hmm. a ray of light. But so it's not a hundred percent the same. But like it's close enough that it just reminds me. I'm curious to see if that's intentional. If they're if they're pulling the sort of like the thing that Eva did, where it used symbol like symbolism and imagery and even straight up story from various western traditions to like structure itself or and sort of like call evolution or if it's just a coincidence i don't know but i think the fact that you saw the similarity is significant yeah it is there is definitely no denying uh a lot of the western aesthetic influence on utsuna when it comes to like more like european stuff so i don't know 
I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately like it's weird because like a lot of anime, even anime that's like obviously super like Western aesthetic because just like we think that Eastern aesthetics are cool because they're 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 novel or they're sort of that exoticism. It kind of works both ways. Um, it's really weird to see it when it's your set of cultural ideas that is the exotic one. But unlike most of the time when that happens, like Utena seems to be like there's no way this is happening in Japan except for a handful of things. Like nothing looks like Japan in, in Utena except for like for the Ventos. Yeah, except for a lot of like random assorted details. There isn't much that is singularly i don't know like maybe this is just like us being two white people looking at this show but there isn't a lot that distinguishes this as japanese aside from like the names and it being in japanese and the fact that it's anime yeah like you see it sometimes like but usually there's an explanation or it's like um or in high school where like it's part of the joke but this one that's just never the setting is basically might as well not exist almost. Yeah. Like, it's just there and it is utterly unexplained, just like everything else is utterly unexplained. It does sort of take place in its own universe with its own rules, even if we don't know what all those rules are. And, okay, I held off saying this, but I was visited by a cat and it meowed at me and I wanted to pet it really badly. I'm pretty sure it's one of the sewer cats that lives near the college, so I probably should not have petted it, but I wanted to. Aww. Sewer cat. Yeah, there's like twenty or thirty of them, and they live underneath in, underneath the college. And they're friendly. Mile, like, they like the people. Water. They're friendly in that like they don't really mind people, but if you approach them, usually they'll scamper off. That makes sense. Lots of cats are like that. Yeah, but like sometimes they will be out here. I have a cat that will let you walk up to him and pet him and pick him up like fine when he's inside but if he is outside and you walk up to him he will usually like run off it doesn't make any sense but if he's inside he doesn't <laughs> mind at all that's how you do it i don't understand but yeah we had a lot of interesting development in this episode uh we that's a lot for it yeah we got some sort of we got confirmation of the Rose Bride repeats everything that she's told thing, but we also got, curiously, this hint that maybe that's not entirely the truth, or maybe that's not the only truth, and I think that that will become more apparent as we progress in the story. But this was a good episode, even if it gave me a terminal case of the sads. I will never be happy again. <laughs> well, that doesn't have to do with this. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Just kidding. You're the worst. I thought it You're would so be funny, and it was. Oh, I am not mean to you. <laughs> I am mean to a lot of people, Joshi, but I'm not mean to you. Oh, okay, that's fair. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess that wraps us up for the episode. Unless you have anything else that you want to talk about, anything else that you notice? No, I think I think that uh, the episode has been thoroughly analyzed. All right. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at UtenaCast. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Impandanata. Mm. We have a Patreon now that I will link in the description for this episode, maybe, but it is definitely on the SoundCloud page, and it will definitely be across all of our social media accounts, which also includes imaginebeingutena.tumblr.com. And if you, for some reason, can't find it and you want to ask us about it, you could email us at imagineandutina at gmail.com. And 
I would be happy to point you in a direction where you can give us a couple of bucks and help me host the show on SoundCloud because I have to pay for it now. But we have some pretty good rewards. Uh, Josh here has volunteered for several of the reward tiers on our Patreon. If you subscribe to our Patreon, you might be able to get a an Utena fan fiction. Can be like a crack fic, something silly, uh, featuring wh- whatever characters you want it to. I don't know, Josh. Do you have any parameters? Um, I was gonna say to because I, I we have confirmed empirically now that um, follow my, some of my followers uh, sort of listening. If you were listening to this, you know that I do commissions now, and this is a way to get a commission way, like way cheaper. That would be way more ridiculous than anything you could come up with. I don't write crack fix often, but when I do, you're great. And you know they're great if you followed me. Yeah. Uh, and shout out to all of Josh's followers who are listening to our podcast now. I can see that you are coming to the podcast from Josh's blog, and that makes me happy. So just saying, like, you know, I, the one I just finished would, would have been about, like, 20 bucks. And you could probably get something that you could probably get like four thousand words out of me for like two or three, two or three or four bucks. So like, I, I promise you, it will be worth it. It will be ridiculous. I am, I'm a master shit poster. And if you actually want a serious one, I am willing to do that. It will be magical. I promise you. I'm excited about it. Uh, I we will still be putting up the podcast, whether you donate or not. I I just want to uh, make sure everybody knows that that has no bearing on whether or not we are able to keep doing this. It would just be really nice, and I'd really appreciate it. But you know, the show is always going to be free to listen to. But in the future, if we start getting actual patrons, then we can start offering patron-only content, and that would be pretty cool. You might want to get in on the ground floor. And as a, a kind of a final point, again, to my um, followers, you guys know that I have a Patreon. I don't really advertise that much. But if you were looking at that and figuring that, you know, a couple of bucks isn't going to really add anything, consider like cons- consider giving to this Patreon instead because a couple of bucks would help that a lot more than a couple of bucks will help my Patreon. Oh, but so, you should also donate to Josh's Patreon if you know what that I mean, is. I'm not going to say no. <laughs> donate to all the patreons support the arts damn it <laughs> all right i uh i guess that does this for today revolutionize the world everybody see you later